Good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Happy uh, end of December. Yeah. Coming up on the end of the year. I'm finding it's a good time to get some stuff done while a lot of people are taking time off. And it's just kind of one of those time periods where you can be really heads down and not have a whole lot of distractions. So it's been cool. I'm digging it. I like this time of year. I actually like when it first gets cold. Mm-hmm. I find it kind of exciting. Yeah, I do too. Now that I live in a cold weather climate. And uh, do you have snow over there in Boston yet? Not. We have had snow. It has since uh, cleared. Okay. Not sticking yet. Yeah. So it's just it's just cold. But I, yeah. it, the first snow too, I also find like really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Later on, less so. But right now, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, it wears off after a little while. But um, yeah, we were. I was just walking on a frozen lake um, a couple days ago, and that is a magical experience. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm in the midst of a consumer adventure to try to find myself a more legit winter coat. Mm. Oh, that's. I have fun. like good options down to like 20 degrees, and after that, it's like, ooh, I don't quite have enough insulation. But I can't find the thing that's like perfect. I have like a few candidates, but none of them are exactly what I want. So I'm feeling consumer stress. Mm, yeah. Optimizer stress. Yep. I've been there. So I um, stay tuned for f- further updates. Yeah. I'd be curious what you find because you are a tall fellow like me. And um, yes. I found one of my biggest challenges with jackets is finding one with long enough arms is number one. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I am chronically between sizes. Yeah. Yeah. Like on the XLs, the arms will be the right length, but the body's too big. And the large will be like nice in the body, but too small in the chest or something. And it's just, I, I, I frequently struggle with this. Yep. Me too. I just need fully custom clothing for every season. <laughs> I know. Have you ever checked out a, like a uh, proper cloth or one of those services like that? No. So it's all, all basically custom made, tailored to your exact dimensions. But it's predominantly like nicer clothing, like collared shirts and and dress shirts all the way up into like um, suits and things like that. But it's quite addictive to get like finally a collared shirt with long arms that actually fits perfectly like a glove all around your whole uh, upper body. So (laughs) I'm gradually building out a small collection, but they're very expensive. (laughs) Huh. Yeah, that's I have used another service. I forget what it was called, but the same idea. And yeah, you're right. It is amazing. Like for the first time in my life, I pulled on a shirt that fit everywhere. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm never going to find a thing off the shelf that just does that. But then if a custom thing is it's it's beautiful. I'm uh, I have some news. I'm moving. Ah, finally away from the um, siren zone of the hospital. Yes, nearby. siren zone. <laughs> yeah, I'm vacating that. Um, I'm moving to Davis Square, which is uh, a part of Somerville, which is a city outside of Boston. Um, a few miles out. It's it's not very far from where I am now, um, but it's all, it's right next to public transit and it's quieter. And I found two cool roommates, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to move. Very cool. When's that happening? The first week of January. So I'm technically okay. on the lease as of January first. So mm-hmm. I will be moving all my stuff out. Nice. Although I'm I don't have that much stuff. So yeah, I think it'd be pretty painless. <laughs> pretty minimalist. Yeah. I'm I'm good at the not having that much stuff, and sometimes it pays off. Like right now, yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving can be terrible with lots of stuff, so I'm glad you're in that that situation. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I also have a, a thing I wanted to share, which is someone shared some feedback with me about the code quality challenge. 
this person said, I thought you'd get a kick out of knowing that we now frequently say in code discussions, what would Ben say about that? <laughs> nice. I think you need a t-shirt. You need to start selling some swag or something. What would Ben say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have thought about some sort of swag option for code quality challenge stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, like, I don't know, that might be cool. But yeah, that was a trip. I enjoyed that. That's fun. So thank That's you fun. to that person. You, you almost need someone in the community to make that for you so that it's not like, um, you know, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. calling yourself an expert, you know? That's, yeah, yeah, I agree. Hint, hint, whoever this is, if you're listening. <laughs> Speaking of the Code Quality Challenge, that's, uh, signups are going really well. Um, I did a push last week uh, to try to get a good number of people signed up for the next cohort, uh, and it totally worked. Uh, I asked everyone that had participated in the last one if they would like tweet about it on a certain day, the same day that I launched the new site, uh, which you can go see. Uh, Steve Sugar did that. It's a beautiful new uh, landing page. And uh, yeah, I think we're over 600 people now for the second cohort, which is awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that a larger cohort than your first one? First one was uh, just it was right around six hundred. The signups aren't closed yet, and at least last time there was a big flurry of people coming in once they realized they couldn't sign up after a certain date. So I'd be surprised if it weren't bigger. And I also haven't even emailed um, like my personal list. So I think there's more juice in that orange. For the first cohort, I was like, oh man, like I'm never going to get this many people signed up again. Like this is the first, you know, the the big shot you get in the beginning, but it seems like right. that was not true. Right. Are there people enrolling for a second time? Like, um, so I'm. I said that I would let people do that. I haven't opened up that option. I suspect there will be lots of people because you know, 600 people said they wanted to do the first one, and then you know, lots of them never even you know touched a thing. So I assume there'll be some percentage that will say, "Oh, let me try the second time around." So I'm basically going to just send out like a trigger link drip email thing that's like, mark yourself as being interested in the second cohort too. Nice. Yeah, as a person who didn't participate as heavily as I would have wanted to on the first time around, I think I would be interested to to do another go around and try to be more active about doing the exercises. So I, I bet there's more people like me. Yeah, I think that's true. My hope is to do like with every cohort, do a little bit more to tr- or like at least one new experiment to try to increase retention. Uh, so I'm starting to think about what that will mean for this one. I haven't decided any final things yet, but uh, people have been sending in suggestions, which is nice. So I'll, I'll at least try something and we'll just see how we'll do. I have, a, I have the data basically for the second one or for the first one. And so I can kind of compare like how, what, what's working. Have some metrics to measure over yeah. time. So we'll talk about goals. Yeah. So I pitched you on this a couple of days ago. I was, I was having a chat with Rob from Startups for the Rest of Us. And they always do a, an annual goals episode. And he's basically said he'd be interested in hearing a similar type of thing from us. And I think it's been a good thing for them to basically state some goals, have a little bit of public accountability and, you know, something that listeners can kind of follow along with. So, and then you messaged me last night and said, why don't we tighten it up to quarterly goals? And I think that's a good idea. <laughs> So, so I like the idea of committing to things and and thinking about the future and planning and all that. But I was just I was sitting there thinking like I cannot I can barely imagine a goal that I think will be relevant for me a year from now. To make a thing that would be relevant for that long to me, it felt like I would have to get so high level or so general. Th- the goals didn't excite me in a way. That to me is an intimidating length of time. I can imagine committing to something that's a little bit hard for a quarter. And then maybe like one quarter at a time. But like the idea of like, and now for the next year, I will do this hard thing. It's like, oh man, like, am I really going to get this? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think when you try to set a full annual goal, you're kind of lacking that time boundary, which is one important component of an effective goal, I think, is having tight boundaries on that. So, And we could try to say, like, I'm going to do this for what, the first quarter, and then the next quarter I'm going to do this other thing. But it's kind of like building product, like more than about a quarter out, like you don't really know <laughs> where your priorities are going to be. So it's kind of a, like foolish to try to like project that far out, I think. So... Yeah, that's how I felt too. And especially like, I'm expecting my next year to be kind of have a lot of flux and turmoil in it. So I think it's extra hard for me right now. But as soon as I th- started thinking like, what if we did quarterly? I was like, oh, yeah, that makes that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. And we can check in on them regularly to see if we're actually, actually staying on track. So I think this will be Yes. And I think that's actually a good meta goal, which is like once a month, make sure we touch these things in the podcast and just update people and see where we are. But I actually, so I have like a, a rough draft of, of my goals, but I actually want some help working on at least one of them here. So I talked to some friends about this last night. I was like, hey, I'm like going to do some goals and, and talked it over with some people. One thing that someone pointed out that I thought was smart is that I was originally thinking like, okay, one of my goals is, is a fitness goal. And so like I would, you know, do like X number of yoga classes or X weightlifting sessions or something like that. And he said, the problem with a goal like that is if you say like, I want to go to yoga twice a week. Once you fall off the wagon and have an off week, you're going to feel like you should just stop or it'll feel easy to just stop. You're like, well, I missed that week and therefore I'm not going to do this anymore because I failed the goal. And so he suggested things that were more like accumulating goals or like do a specific thing by a specific date kind of goal, which I think was kind of a nice tweak. And so I started trying to apply that to my things and I think it improved the goals there was one that I couldn't... I haven't, I haven't found a good formulation in that style yet. And so I wanted to kind of talk it over. Okay. Yeah, I think I could probably take some cues from that too. Because similarly, I have a fitness-related goal. But I <laughs> I was also grabbing drinks with friends yesterday and trying to... Well, trying to, to hammer out like, what exactly do I want? How do I want to define the goal? And I was also dissatisfied with saying like a certain number of times a week. I feel like that's that's an easy thing to say, but my issue with it is I might actually be undershooting what I should be doing. Like if I have a certain fitness goal, then just just setting like a minimum bar to me feels like not enough. Like I, it should be more specific than that because if I'm really just doing my minimum bar, I'm not necessarily setting myself up for success for achieving my actual fitness goal. So I should probably be making it a bit more specific to my actual fitness goal. So... Yeah, that is tricky. My original fitness thing was like, you know, one yoga class and one weightlifting session a week. And I want to do more than that. And so is it better to set it low and actually achieve it? Like, are there weeks where I don't do either of those once? For sure. So like, that would be an improvement. But is that where I actually want to be? Like, I'm, I'm actually not sure what's, what's best there. My guess is it's better to have a low, like a, a smaller goal that you actually stick with. If it's a slight improvement over your normal behavior. But like, if you're already doing yoga three times a week and you say, I want to make sure I do yoga once a week, like, have you done anything really there? Yeah. It's funny. I kind of got into a little, <laughs> little bit of like a philosophical discussion about how to approach fitness goals. And we can, we can dive into that a little bit. I, it kind of went on for like an hour and we were end up going around in circles. But, but the gist of it was like, I struggle with uh, consistent exercise in general. Like I don't, I'm not one who like, loves going to the gym or loves doing hard exercise. I usually am happy afterward, but getting myself to do it is always a little bit of a struggle 
because I have so many things on my mind and I tend to like, it's hard to prioritize exercise over the other things that I want to be doing at any given moment, right? So, and I think I have identified one of my problems is that I need a feedback loop. So for me, like, um, I usually get most motivated when I know that I need to make a correction in some area. Like, I know I need to lose some weight. Like, I have too much body fat right now. So I want to correct that. And so I'm always thinking results-oriented, right? But my friends uh, that I was talking to look at it completely differently. They say, like, it's less about seeing results and more about just establishing consistency, as like kind of like there's an intrinsic value to being consistent at exercise, regardless of whether you see results or not. What I'm trying to figure out for myself is, is it the wrong way to look at it to think of doing exercise as a means to achieving a result? Or should I be looking at it as just like a, a virtuous thing to do for my body and overall health and be less concerned about getting the results feedback loop? <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky question. It's like habits versus goals. Like, do you want to build a fitness habit? Or do you want to like hit a certain thing by a certain date? I'm pretty pro habits. I think they're really powerful. Like if you could accumulate a series of small fitness habits, that's probably best. If, if you can just make these things part of your life that you do consistently, that will probably give you the best long term results. But the question is, can you actually create and stick to those habits? Like, are you more likely to be able to add some small habits or are you more likely to be able to hit a specific goal in a certain time frame? Yeah, for me, it's like less about necessarily like, I don't know if I'm qualified to set a specific goal. Like, I want to lose this much body fat by this amount of time. Like, I'm no fitness expert. So I would probably have to defer to to someone more expert than me to give me a, like a good goal post that's reasonable. I do want to establish the habit. I guess I'm just thinking like, for me, is the habit going to be best established by actually seeing some results and letting that, you know, become a, a virtuous cycle where it kind of feeds back in and that that provides a little extra motivation to keep me going? Or do I need to not even be thinking about results and just think about establishing the habit of you know, showing up this many times a week? I should probably think of results as a secondary thing, but I, it's just a hard mental hurdle for me to get over, you know? Well, I mean, if you if we set quarterly goals, you can try different versions of this. So like James Clear writes about this a lot, has some like good writings on this about like habits and, and showing up versus goals. And he's very pro habits side. My intuition is if you set like a specific goal that you commit to publicly like this is probably going to be more effective than committing to trying to build a small habit. Setting a time box and committing to a thing in front of people uh, is a clear like go no go like did you do it or did you not versus like I want to make sure I you know do x th like this thing x times per week that's is that's still pretty clear but I, I don't know it feels like it's going to be less motivating to you to, and to me as well I guess and like if you f if you fall off the building the habit wagon I, I think you're less likely to climb back on but like if you said like I want to lose five percent body fat by April first. If you fall off the wagon for a couple of weeks, you can still come back. That to me is the is the strength of the time boxed goal. It's like you can redouble your efforts later if you have a bad week or something. Yep. My goal, my specific goal, which we should get into the actual goals in a second, but like that's probably it's probably somewhat rough draft too because I think I need to make it a little more specific. But I I like that idea of having some kind of success metric that's not necessarily directly tied to a certain number of times per week. And then and then my hope is that 
a certain number of times per week consistently is the best way to achieve that. So that should follow from naturally striving towards that goal. And then once I've done that for long enough, I mean, part of forming habits, right, is just like consistently doing it. And after a certain amount of time of doing something consistently, it you have formed a habit, right? Yeah, it's, it's not really an either or. That's, I think, yeah, is a good observation. Yeah. All right, let's get cool. into these. Let's let's let's, let's talk let's specifics for a little bit. Let's let's do it. So I'm going to start with fitness. We'll say these go into effect January 1st, which means it would be by April 1st. All right, so I have two, like two fitness goals. Uh, one is a skill slash strength goal, and the other is a mobility goal. So the first one is by April 1st, I would like to be able to do a 30-second freestanding handstand. Freestanding handstand meaning like I kick up into a thing, I'm doing a handstand, I hold up for 30 seconds, I'm not touching anything else. It's just me on my hands, upside mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a skill I've wanted to be able to do for a while. I've done some practice around this, and I've got like my current best. I couldn't do this right now, but my best has been like maybe a five-second freestanding handstand. So I've like I've started to like taste what it feels like to be able to support yourself in that way, uh, but I've never gotten that position solid. And when you're doing this handstand, are you are you completely static, or are you like kind of moving around, like, or are your hands just planted? Your hands are just planted. Okay. Oof, that takes a lot of balance, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> I would consider this still a success if I could stay up for thirty seconds, but had some bobbles. You know, like I have to ca- like you know have to move one hand to sort of adjust and like start to fall over, but catch myself. That's all fine. Yeah, straight up and down, legs straight, thirty seconds. That's the skill slash strength goal. Okay, very cool. Nice. That is nice and specific. Yeah, I like that. It's like a clear, like you know, pass fail. And I think either way, I will for both of these, basically post a video of my best attempt on April 1st. So it's like either you watch me horribly fail to do a handstand or you'll see like, oh, yeah, I got it. And so it's like a little bit of an, maybe a social and pressure embarrassment kind of thing for both of these. Uh, the second one is holding a five minute squat without touching anything else like a free like also like freestanding kind of thing. I am horrendous at getting into like a full squat position. And it's it's always like irked me because it's such a it's such a basic human position like if you watch a child who has just learned to walk um like a toddler they can squat down into a full squat and that is their comfortable position they can do that before they can walk so it's like a core human thing and like i've just gotten so stiff uh that i can't do it and so uh, I've, i've long wanted to correct this thing and so that's my that's my second one okay very cool my first fitness, well, my only fitness related goal, and this is, again, preface, probably not specific enough, but instead of a certain number of times a week, I'm just going to say that I want to adopt a consistent exercise program for the next three months. And by program, I mean something that is fairly holistic in the, in, and well-balanced in the sense of like a, a good mix of cardio exercise and muscle building and flexibility. As I was talking it through with friends, I think a good baseline activity for me is doing yoga consistently. And I've kind of fallen off that wagon. So I would like to do that at least twice a week. But I don't think that number of times a week is part of the goal necessarily. How will you know if you've achieved this goal versus not? I have to at least formulate a plan. Um, I'm between two methods for doing this. One is hiring a personal trainer or two is, is finding some 
some program that has been vetted by someone who knows a thing or two about <laughs> a holistic exercise program and just basically committing to that. So I think that's that's pretty fuzzy right now, but that's as specific as I have it today. Would you say yoga is like the most important component of this? No, I don't think so. But I think it's I think it's a like I want to have one activity that's like the one thing that holds consistent that I do regularly and then everything else can be a bit more randomized I, I guess like cuz I think there's there's a few benefits to yoga. One is like I have a flexibility problem. I know that for sure. Like being 65, I have a lot of flexibility problems. So so that it helps with that. It also helps with stress relief and building muscle strength. So I, I think it's like a good baseline activity for me, um, better than just like running, for example, like we kind of talked about that before. And so that I kind of want that to be my baseline activity, but then also mix in whether it's like, you know, different programs from the Nike Training Club app, which I've been experimenting with, or going beyond that and doing like an actual personal trainer. Um, this goal is like a little too fuzzy, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to know if you've actually done it or not this would be an easy thing to kind of be like yeah i'm mostly kind of doing a program that is a holistic fitness thing but i'm still not really happy with what's going on and i can't really track my like progress towards the goal yeah that's fair can i suggest an alternate formulation yeah please do <laughs> if fat loss is a primary goal and it seems like that is i would set it i would put a number on that go the first week of January, get a body fat test, and, and then do another one April 1st and put a number on that. If, if, that's the, if that's the most important, most motivating aspect of fitness to you right now. Like there, there are 13 weeks, a pound of fat loss a week is a, normal, a pretty normal target for people. If you said, you know, lose 13 pounds of fat by April 1st, that's like one of the... Like you can track progress. You can see where you are. You can double down if you're behind. You can relax if you're ahead. You'll know if you hit it. We can shame you publicly if you don't. Yeah. You feel like that's a pretty realistic... It's possible to basically name a number like that and be in the ballpark of, of that, I guess. Like, I don't yeah, know. I guess totally. I, don't, I, mean, I don't feel like I have a good sense of what is actually realistic. So how will I know if I'm actually doing the right things to getting to that number, you know? Um, I think that number is realistic. Like a pound of fat a week is a pretty common goal. At our size, it's actually a, an even more achievable goal. Like the bigger you are, the easier it is to lose a pound a week. And so maybe you don't say like, okay, it's exactly 13 pounds today. But you go do some research and say, actually, you know, I'd feel better if I said, you know, three quarters a pound a week or whatever it is. Even if you said five pounds or like whatever it was, like if you just had a specific number, I think that would go a long way towards, um, yeah, towards this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Pound a week. So it's like a 500 calorie deficit per day basically, which is not that much. That's like a pretty commonly recommended caloric deficit. I think that would be pretty achievable, especially if you've been like somewhat sedentary up until this point, like haven't really been working on this goal or like getting your diet dialed in kind of thing. I think you would probably lose a substantially more than that for the first few weeks and then be ahead of the game. If you wanted to go research this so you felt really confident about your number and then come back and say, okay, the number is X, that would be, I think, a reasonable thing to do. I think I'll probably do that just because... I want to feel comfortable that it's actually achievable given, given the parameters that I'm willing to operate in. Like, I don't know how, if that would be an aggressive goal for me, I'm perhaps willing to back off that slightly in, in the name of like, not so dramatically altering my lifestyle from what it is today. Cause I'm skeptical in my own ability to like do a significant radically change 
how I eat and my exercise patterns. Like I'm a realist. So I know. yeah. 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 I think you want to be in the sweet spot of like, feel like this would require some behavior change, but I'm also not like horribly intimidated by this. Yeah. Yeah. This number. Yep. If you're moving in the right direction, I think you're going to feel good, even if it's a slow thing. You know, it's like a, a slow, steady progress, will, I think will still be motivating. Yeah, I agree. And how would I track progress of this over time? Like, what's the right heuristic to use to know whether I'm... So I would basically do a body fat test once a month. Like, f- find the best, the most accurate option that you have access to. Like, I do bod pod because there's a place near-ish to me. I'd basically find the best thing you can get access to and then just do that kind of regularly. Um, waist circumference measurements are also like a good proxy for this where it's like maybe you'll only do like one or two bot like the specific body fat tests. But if you just kind of if you're watching your waist circumference and it goes down, you're almost certainly losing fat. Does that feel like the most motivating aspect of fitness? To it you does. Right now? I think it's okay. I think it's like I. this kind of goes back to the conversation I had yesterday where I was trying to figure out is that is it more about forming the habit that's important or is it about a specific n- number of fat loss and i my goal is to lose fat so i think that's probably that's probably the right thing to do i just want to make sure i'm not focused solely on that i'm also focused on building the habit so totally well i, I think you you will need good habits to achieve this goal and so that the habits will fall out of it i think if you don't kind of get a number version on the thing you actually care about you risk like it, it's actually a fairly common occurrence that people increase their exercise and then increase their caloric consumption mm, to match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so like, ah, you successfully, you successfully built the habit of, you know, working out more and you also eat an equivalent uh, extra amount of calories and your body fat number has gone nowhere. And you probably feel better because you're exercising more, but you know, your actual goal is not happening. Done with fitness. Yep. So my next one is sort of like a, um, a mind slash happiness type thing. So I want to talk through this one a little bit because I, I, this is the most waffly one for me. But so my idea is to accumulate 10 hours of meditation by April 1st. Okay. 10 hours. Um, and I, I, I kicked around a bunch of different ideas. I was like, what's like, what do I feel not great about? Like, I don't, I don't love going on Twitter all the time. I don't like being unfocused. I, maybe I should like, maybe it's like uninstall all these apps from my phone or like this, a certain amount of phone usage. And so there were a bunch of Canada ideas I found, but they all kind of suffered from that that um fall off the wagon thing where it's like okay i'll never go on twitter before noon and like oh i did it today oh well i guess whatever i guess i'm done with that with with a number it's like oh i I fell off but i can come back maybe i'll just do 20 minutes a day for the next couple days to catch up or something like that hmm i wonder if this one would be a good like candidate for and even if it's not weekly but like something like a more more subdivided goalposts than just like a total number in that many months. Like, cause I feel like you could easily go then a week without doing it and figure I'll just make it up later. So like, I wonder if you need a little bit more of a, of an immediate term. I don't know if it's weekly, maybe it's biweekly, maybe it's one month, you know, but, um, I wonder if I said something like an hour a week that kind of suffers from that same thing. Like the intermediate goals, like, like my first missed week, would that be demotivating? Or would it be like, ah, oh, don't worry, next week is a new week and I can start over? I'm actually not sure. My my hunch is that it could be demotivating, though. I think it could, although I guess I would argue that like something like this does, I don't know, to be effective, do you need to be doing it on a somewhat consistent cadence? Like whatever that cadence is, like that should probably be built in to the goal. For sure. And it basically is... I can't accumulate 10 hours in one week, 
basically i mean i could but like it would be pretty hellacious <laughs> yeah. I, my goal is to do about an hour a week uh plus some uh flexibility in there so if there's 13 weeks you know i can i can miss some some times here and there and my hope is that like that big number encourages me to do the regular habit that i'm trying to build where it's like if i'm gonna get to 10 hours i can't start in march I mean, there's weaknesses to both formulations, right? Yeah, I think I would just say like whatever, because you're probably, I would guess if you're tracking, if you're doing some kind of tracking to figure out, am I on track or not? Are you going to be looking at, are you looking at a progress on like a progress bar that has 10 hours and you're gradually chipping away at that? Or are you looking at it at a smaller scale? You know, are you saying like, well, in order to achieve my 10 hours in this time period, I need to do this much this week, you know? I mean, I think both, like I probably would make a thing that was like, here's how much I've done so far. Here's a visual representation of where I'm at. Given the date, here is how much I would have to do per day to get there. I feel kind of okay about that formulation. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I might fail, but I I, I think I kind of like it as is (laughs) the more I talk about it. Cool. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's reasonable. I think it's just like, I think you will need to track on a smaller scale than that 10 hours, but uh, you know. It's basically built in. It's giving you some built-in flexibility, which I think is good to have so that you don't fall off the wagon and feel like you're off. Yep. Cool. Okay. You want to share another one? Yeah. So number two is I would like to ship a project in a new language. And by new language, I mean something not Ruby, not the standard stack I've been working in. So I've been toying around a lot in Elixir and Elm. Um, I've been working on a bigger project, just like something that I plan to open source sometime. And I was originally thinking of this in a year-long goal, which is when I wrote this one down. But then um, I still think it's achievable to to ship something. And by ship something, I mean probably realistically open sourcing something, a project of some of some sort. And so I would love to ship this larger project that I'm working on. But if that doesn't happen, I would like to at least ship a library that is maybe some component extracted from the the larger project that I'm working on. So so shipping it equals just like setting it to public on GitHub and tweeting about yep. it and things yep. like that. Yep. Putting okay. Something into the world. Nice. I like that. That's like kind of clearly measurable. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's cool. That sounds like a solid professional goal. I mean, I think that the best way to keep yourself working on something is to actually ship. And, um, you know, I don't think it always has to be, it doesn't always have to be a product that you're selling to the public. Shipping can mean putting something out into the open source world. I want this to be a goal because I want this to, I want to keep up my cadence of consistently working on side projects, even though it's oftentimes hard to find time to write code when I've been writing code all day long or, or just doing software things all day long like it's oftentimes hard to find the time in the evening to to carve out even more time to dedicate to tech things but i think it's it's proven to be a worthy exercise like my experimentation with elm on the side has made it to the point where i'm really comfortable with the language and now brought it into the drip fold for our email builder so it's, it's like proven time and time again every time i work on side things there's usually something that i'm able to bring tangibly from that into um, my day job. So, so it sounds like you should work on this goal at work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, maybe I could squeeze that in. <laughs> that could be justifiable. Sounds like twenty yeah. percent time. Yeah, I like this goal for you in particular because I think you take a lot of pride in craftsmanship, uh, and I can't picture you open sourcing and publishing about a thing 
that you didn't think was decent and wasn't like you know didn't have a good readme and you know had qual- code quality that you you thought was good uh, so i think that will this will be positive to push you in that direction like if you commit to opening open sourcing a thing you're gonna have to have a thing and since you're you i think you'll have to put some effort into it and some time into it and, and make it good so oh yeah like yeah yeah so you're so by april 1st you're going to op- like have a public repo you're going to tweet about it. Yep. You're going to blog about it. Yep. Talk about okay. it here. Use all Do your all channels. Yep. Talk about it here. Okay. All right. I like it. Yep. That's perfect. Cool. All right. My last one. I feel like I've been hinting around this on the podcast and talking to you about it and whatnot. Uh, but I'm, I'm basically going on. I'm going to go on record. Uh, so my professional goal for the first quarter is to get a job. Really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it. I am uh, basically calling an end to the grand experiment. I have enjoyed it. I found it fulfilling. I found it good. Well, <laughs> enjoyable. I- I've enjoyed it in certain senses. I have uh, disenjoyed it in many other senses. I feel like this is a thing I want to come back to and also probably do on the side. But for my day-to-day, I really want to be doing things with people. And I the best route I see to that right now is working on somebody else's company for now so that's my plan just to like poke at that a little bit have you yeah um, please do tear me up Let's so you enter time so it is possible to to not work for somebody and also work with other people by kind of building your own team and without lots of you know personal capital to throw into it like raising capital is one option so have you like entertain entertain that route and done pros and cons on on that route of getting I a sort team, of haven't basically. entertained that that much because I don't feel like I have the idea that I'm excited about. And maybe that's the wrong way of thinking about it. Maybe it's like, go find the idea and then do it. Tell me if this is a terrible goal. Like, am I just giving up too early? Like, should I, should I push more down that path? Because the real goal uh, is social interaction and structure and team camaraderie and all that. And the shortest path I know to that is, you know, go join some other company. But the real goal is those other things. Am I foolish to not try that to like build a team around a thing? Am I wasting an opportunity? I think it's certainly not foolish. I think it's I think it depends on what your other goals are in addition to, um, you know, working with people, which I think is totally like aligns with your personality. Like it totally makes sense that you want to have a team, you know? I mean, there's a lot to starting a business, and especially if you're talking about funding, well, then you're, you're, in a sense, sacrificing a lot of the freedom that comes with being independent and bootstrapped, right? I think it's probably, probably the easiest path to getting what you need in terms of fulfillment from a team is, is to work for somebody. Starting your own company, obviously, you have to take on the risk, but in exchange, you're getting the implicit freedom from not having a direct boss, However, in our industry, there's many tech gigs out there where it's almost as free as um, as being your own boss, where, you know, like there's there's unlimited time off out there. There's um, flexible work schedules. There's work from home. I think it's certainly not foolish because it's it's basically possible these days to get almost to the level of freedom that you would have being independent without taking on all the risk of being the business owner. Mm. So. Mm-hmm. Rob was talking about this on some podcast, maybe Zen founder or something, but I, I remember hearing him talking about something and he was like, he sort of seemed to agree with the sentiment that like, if, if you 
don't feel like you have to run your own company, then you probably shouldn't. Because it's so much harder and so much more stressful that if it's not really burning inside you, maybe it's not the right path for you. And I would say that applies to me. Like I, I like it. It's stimulating. It's interesting. I don't feel like I have to. Like the, the job of a like developer type person is, like you said, it's really good. It's not like I hated my day job or would hate another day job. As I've thought about this, I feel a little bit like I'm optimizing a path and choosing a path that is not really worth optimizing for me, at least not right now. Like I could see myself getting to the point where like I'm just like so not into working on other people's ideas, and I have this thing that's consuming me and it's giving me like no, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and I could reach a point where it's like I have to work on this because I can't not. But I don't feel that way right now, and so it's like why why push myself through the pain of this at this moment? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that sounds. I mean, it sounds like you've given it a lot of thought, and it. I think your rationale is totally reasonable. So I wouldn't feel at all like you're giving up too early. Um, I think a, a, a big part of this is kind of knowing yourself and knowing what what makes you tick and what what are your goals that you're trying to optimize for right now. And it sounds like that that very well could be the right path for you is to to get back into uh, yeah get back into salaried gig with the team. So I worry about this about like doing like getting a getting a job because <laughs> I worry about like people's perception of me. Like I talk on this podcast every week about what I'm doing, and I'm like, oh man, like if I go get a job. Are people going to find the podcast boring? Like, will I have nothing interesting to say week to week? Or like, are people going to be like disappointed in me? They're like, oh, you only did it for like 10 months or whatever. And now you're stopping. Like, why do you suck? It's, uh, it's, it's kind of pernicious. Yeah. And I, I think the counter to that is, you know, look at me right now, basically working a job. But I'm managing to find, you know, there's it seems like there's always something interesting each week that... I can provide insight about on this podcast. So I think, I think you're absolutely going to still, I mean, you're still going to be doing you, you'll just be doing it at, um, at a new place and you're going to have insights and thoughts and personal growth happening all the time. The, the other, yeah. And the, the other counter to that, to that is I hosted giant robots for five years while at a job. Yeah. There, that, that too. <laughs> and like, it did okay. You know, like yeah. I had a job that whole time and, and people still seem to like it. So yeah, I think it's kind of an unfounded fear. But it's yeah, it's it's weird working in such a public way where like those thoughts become part of my decision making process, but they really probably shouldn't. Like on my deathbed, how many total hours do I want to have spent worried about what people that I don't even really know thought about what I was doing? It's like uh, as close to zero as possible. Okay, so like why spend time worrying about that now? So. If you are out there and you are disappointed in me, screw you. I don't care. I care a little <laughs> bit, but I'm uh, but I'm going to try to care less. But not that much. Yeah. No. And honestly, the thing that keeps that, that strikes me over and over again is that like the people that pay attention to the stuff I do and that like follow me and whatnot are always are, are just about universally overwhelmingly nice and positive and helpful. So I I think this is just one of those um, monkey brain things that I can kind of just dismiss and, and not pay attention to. Maybe if I meditate for 10 hours in the next three months, I will be better at <laughs> shutting that <laughs> voice down. I think that might solve yeah. it. So do you have an yeah. idea of the type of like the size of company you want to work for? Yes. The type of team? Yes. That's you, a great question. Yes, absolutely. So small is my preference for sure. Um, I joined ThoughtBot when we were like 17 people or something like that. And I really enjoyed that. As we got towards 100, I enjoyed that less. 
Um, but that, that, but that was a distributed 100. So like the, the Boston office was only like 25 and that like is kind of, that, that was, so that was still pretty good. But, but I'd say on the smaller side definitely is, is my preference. I'm very allergic to bureaucracy and annoying process that you just can't change. Cause that's just the way it is. Like I can't stand that stuff. Uh, so, so like smaller, a little more nimble, willing to have people come in and sort of break out of their roles is important to me too. Where it's like, I started at ThoughtBot as a consultant writing Ruby and I ended doing, I had like, you know, several distinct different jobs throughout the years there. And without that flexibility, I would have for sure been unsatisfied. And so I hope to find another thing that's kind of like that. And I think that's one of the, the strengths that I honestly bring is like, I get into a place and I see something that's wrong and I, I like, I have to like, let me fix this. Like, let's go after this. Like, I love fixing broken things and processes and, and starting new things and improving on what's there. So... I would want something that's kind of supportive of that. Um, Team-wise, good people is obviously important. You know, people I like, um, because especially because the social element is such an important part of this to me. So that matters a lot. But also, another thing I'm thinking about um, is technology choice. So I spent a lot of time, like my career began as, as a programmer, and then I moved over to the business side a bunch over time to the point where I was writing very little code. And I feel like I've swung further down that pendulum, further along that pendulum than I want to. So um, I'm thinking I'd like to get back to a more pure programming role. Maybe not entirely, like if I were a team lead type thing with a couple people reporting to me, that would be fine. But I want to spend most of my time writing code again because it's just so fun. I enjoy it so much. It makes the day go by so quickly in a way that basically nothing else does for me. Um and so that kind of role is important. And then also like the technology matters um, because I, <laughs> I've been saying for a while that I think like functional languages with strong static typing are more or less our future. And so I really want some element of that in my day-to-day uh, wherever I go. Yeah. So maybe not, maybe not predominantly a Ruby gig. Uh, very likely not predominantly a Ruby gig. Which is kind of, <laughs> which is funny because it's like I'm taking my the area where I'm strongest, like or like best best known, I guess, and have the most credentials, and being like, I don't want to do that anymore. But that that's that's sort of par for the course for me. I think I, I'm I'm into the new thing, and and you know the, the stuff that I see as being interesting down the road, not mm-hmm. the existing stuff. Oh, and uh, local or remote or don't care. Local for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. To me. Uh, yeah, I guess remote would kind of defeat the purpose a little bit. Exactly. Kind of, like, yeah. yeah, if I'm going to work on my own, why don't I work on my own thing? Like, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be a little better because you have a Slack channel or video hangouts or whatever. But no, nah, I, I want I want to go to an office with people in it. I want to eat lunch with people. Uh, I want to get back into that world. So definitely local. So somewhere in Boston or, or outside it. Nice. Have you started? Have you started hunting around a little bit? And you do you see companies using the kinds of tech that you're intrigued by? I do. Um, I have and I do. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to talk about like too much specifics yeah. beyond that. I, w- I wouldn't um, expect you to. But yeah. yeah, yeah. But there are some there are things out there that are like that. But yeah, if you if you're a Boston area company and you're using something like Haskell or Elm, um, then we should probably talk. Yeah, you should hire this guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear what what formulates out of that further yeah me too i feel good about it like i, I mean i feel bad about it too um but <laughs> Don't feel bad. i feel <laughs> yeah i feel uh 57 good about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. maybe 60. We'll see. The nice thing is, just like this initial move where I started doing my own thing, is like n- nothing is permanent. Like if I took a job and we're like, oh, wait, actually, this is all wrong. I, I was wrong about what I thought was important and, and the order to do it in and all that. It's like, just okay, you, there's, you don't have to keep doing that. Go change again. So I'm just going to keep trying to pay attention, like try to like learn more about myself, you know, like what works for me? What's a good fit for me? What do I care about? What should, what should I optimize now? Um, and keep trying to react uh, to that and just iterate on it if I get it wrong. And, and just be willing to, to make those changes. Yeah, that's all. I think it's the best mindset to have going into anything new is that um, knowing that nothing is permanent and you're just have the, you have the mindset of experimentation and so I think that's, you're setting yourself up for success there. Yeah. I hope so. Cool. cool. Um, do you I have had, a third goal? I do have a third goal. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this one I had originally written down as like a per, as a daily habit thing. And I'm, I kind of want to back off that a little bit because I'm not, I'm not sure. So I'll state it, I'll state it in my, in two forms. And I think for the reasons we discussed of like, if you fall off the wagon one day, it's easy to feel like you've totally ruined it. I may, I may adjust this to be a broader thing, but I originally had the goal of wanting to read at least 15 minutes per day and just establish the habit of consistent reading. Right. Um, and I think it's been shown that like, that that is one of the best ways to prime the pump for good ideas is by take like consistently taking in information from from books and books are like a good tried tried and true way to take in information because presumably they've been vetted by a publisher they've been edited it's like the highest quality content you can find probably so (laughs) you don't have to sell me on books so consistent reading at least 15 minutes a day alternative to that would be to read at least four books from my backlog of books that i've been wanting to read for a long time uh, in the next quarter which is probably on the low. That's probably on the lower side. Like I could probably do more, but um, yeah, I want to set it at. I think I actually prefer. Cheaper. Yeah, I prefer the minutes per day in this case, actually, because I don't think if you start a book and you decide it's not for you, I think you should dump it. Like it's yeah. life's too short to read books you're not really into. So let's say we stuck with like the minutes per day thing. Do you think there there could be days where you are like? I just don't have 15 minutes or like 15 minutes sounds intimidating or boring or whatever on certain days. Probably. Yeah. Could you picture yourself doing that for five minutes or do you think you could always get in five minutes? I think I could always get in five minutes. I think I would do say, say five minutes then because my guess is you say five minutes and you'll probably do more than five minutes. I bet many days you would, you would mostly read for longer than that, but you wouldn't have that same sense of like, Oh man, I can't get through 15 minutes today. Therefore, let me do zero. Like, yeah, even if you even if you said, "Yeah, I'm stealing this from Tiny Habits guy, whatever uh, B.J. Fogg, who's like the Stanford researcher who's researched like habit adoption," and he was always he would he would actually encourage you to say like, "You what your habit would be is like to open a book once per day, like read one word from from a book, and like what you right, like, you would, like that I would dare never you give not you to go further." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because like you would never be like, oh, I'm intimidated by the idea of reading one word. Like that would never, right. <laughs> you would never have that sense. And so you would, you would basically all be always be able to do to start it. And if you read the one word, you're done, good. But if you, but if you wanted to, you could read ten words instead, or maybe you read for five minutes, or maybe you read for an hour. Um, so I think I think trimming it down to something like that might be useful for this type of goal. Yeah, 
I like that. When will you read? When? So that's a good question. Um, my ideal is to read in the morning before going to work. Get up in time to to read, probably while I'm sipping coffee and eating breakfast, um, I think is my ideal. Yep. yep. So another BJ Fogg thing is he recommends you tie your habit to a trigger. This is a thing I should, talk, I should think about for the meditation thing, which is like, what is the thing that you already do? And then let that be the trigger for your starting the, the tiny habit thing. So it's like, you already drink coffee. So now you just say like, when, after I take my first sip of coffee, I will read one word from a book or something. Yep. Yeah. That might be a good way to think about this. Yeah, I think so. Because I mean, drinking coffee is certainly a habit that I've established already. So just anchor to that sucker. Exactly. Just hook onto that chain and then you're, you're likely to get there. That formulation for like my meditation thing would be like, so my goal is to do it in the morning. That's when I've been most consistent in the past. And I like starting the day that way. And so like, like after your feet touch the ground out of bed for the first time, like meditate for one second or something is basically what he would say, like one breath and then do more if you want. But you know, that's, that would be the way to get going. Yeah. That's very good. And I think I'm going to probably track, I'm going to try to track this one on one of those habit tracking apps where you can like explicitly check off for the day. I think there's a bazillion of them out there. So I'm just going to pick one and then track it so that I can have that kind of check it off little boost, you know? Yeah. You know, if there's not enough of those apps out there, you could use a new technology and write one and then open <laughs> hey, source it later. Go. not a bad idea (laughs) hashtag synergy yep boom two birds with one stone Mm -hmm. cool all right so uh that was that was a thing i'm glad we did that i think that was i think that's useful we'll see how we do yeah me too i'm excited i think it's good to state these publicly and get a little accountability going so yeah yeah so thanks to rob for that uh that push yeah thanks rob Thanks for making us commit to things in front of thousands of people. Great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no. I think it'll be good. Yeah, me too. Oh, all right. Well, that was an hour. So let's wrap this up. Yeah, thing. this has been a long one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we should wrap it. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry, we're longer than our usual thing, but hopefully you enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you'd like to access the show notes of this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Well, I feel like we don't have time for a post-show. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's see. What is on my calendar? Do I have a thing? Uh, I, I mean, I, I could. I could chat more. What do you got? Time-wise, but we did yeah. just talk for an hour. Uh, nothing, really. Mm. I don't have any like topics to talk about. I have yeah. one little thing, but I don't know. I don't want to get into it. Um, what did you think of that episode? I thought it was good. I, I appreciate the pushback on the, yeah, the exercise thing. I mean, literally I had like when I was originally planning this two days ago, I had down like three times a week, 30 minutes a day, you know, 30 minutes a session. And that's like kind of like the, mm-hmm. What they talk about is the baseline of, um, you know, the minimum to be healthy or whatever, right? So I was like, I'm just going to do that, mm-hmm. and then and then I got in my head about it and started like trying to reformulate it. So I appreciate yeah. talking through that. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's hard not to, to get in your head around those things. Like once I was like, okay, we're committing to goals in front of a bunch of people. Like how, what's the thing I can do and like, what's the best way to think about it and all this. And so I was definitely going all going ham on it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But I, I know. I think that's a, I think that's, that's the nice thing about talking about these with each other is like, we can push back on each other and, and think about things and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. good. There've been a bunch of times in the past where I'm like, I'm going to do X. And you're like, well, do you want to do X? And I was like, oh shit, you're right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a strength of being able to do this. Yeah, totally. I like it. And we just get the, everyone gets the benefit of hearing, uh, hearing us fumble through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm talking, should I talk about this? I think this is okay to talk about. Tell me if you think this is bad to talk about after, <laughs> after I say this and then we'll cut it if you want. Okay. No, no I think it's good. Okay. Um, okay. I'm talking to somebody at a company that is using Haskell on the back end and mm-hmm. Elm on the front end. Oof. Wow. And I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. So I don't, who knows where it will go, uh, but that is like quite the pair of technologies that I really would like to learn and mm-hmm. get paid to learn and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. So I am excited about that. Wow. Um, is this like a, so it's a web application, obviously. Is it like, it is a web app. So, so yeah. the situation is there is a rails app and an angular front end. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are both like sort of the legacy systems. Like they're mm-hmm. in use still, mm-hmm. but the goal has been and continues to be to rewrite the rails app in Haskell. And I think write much of the front end in Elm, although there's there's some like substantial investment in the Angular stuff, and so maybe mm-hmm. there's like a little bit less flexibility there to yeah. to replace things. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but like, but those projects are already in place, and like the people that are there are full on in, into Haskell. They're Haskellers. They wanna. They don't want to be writing the Rails stuff. They want to move everything mm-hmm. over to Haskell, mm-hmm. and presumably they also prefer Elm to Angular. I would mm-hmm. imagine if you're a Haskell person. So yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. So, yeah. Do you feel like there's do you feel yeah. like there's a is there a yeah. pragmatic problem with using Haskell for a full blown web application? Or are you are you feeling like it's I don't know there enough? Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, fair. Yeah. Th- that's that's the question I'm like, like that'll be an interesting thing to learn. Yeah. Um talking to people that are like strong, like have a lot of Haskell experience, they sort of readily admit that like Rails will probably get you there faster in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, um, you catch up and surpass is the is the idea. Where mm-hmm. that crosses, who knows? Yep, it probably depends on a lot of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, that, that's actually that. that uh, yeah, opinions seem to vary. Uh, some people are like, just say like, yeah, the libraries are great. And you can totally do it, and it totally works. And other people are like, the libraries are terrible. They have terrible documentation. It's hard to get going with them. Things like that. Yeah. There's no Rails. Well, there, I guess there kind of is a Rails of the Haskell world, but there's sort of no Rails in any world as far yeah, as yeah. There's I can not tell. like a de facto. Maybe like, like I feel like last time I looked, and I was just for fun. I was just poking around, and it feels I felt like there was a large proliferation of like different approaches to web frameworks or something, and there wasn't like a kind of a de facto. This is the one to use. Yeah. You know? There's yeah, there's one whose name escapes me right now that seems to be the sort of like closest answer yeah. to that. But like, it's actually it's pretty hard to compete with Rails. Like the amount of work and refinement that have gone into it is like quite impressive. And like, you can't just be like, ah, oh, let's write the Rails for yeah. language X. 
and then like you're there a year later or two years later or yeah. four years later like it's it's just insane amount of person hours have gone yeah. into that project yeah. uh, and continue to go into it right. so and and i mean like it has it has plenty of problems sure but like overall the design and the effectiveness that people have with rails is really pretty mm-hmm. pretty impressive mm-hmm. so um it's a it's a tough bar but if your language is really freaking good you should be able to do better eventually right like eventually the power of like haskell's type system let's say and the power of immutable data and pure functions and things like that uh as your complexity grows um should like help you refactor aggressively Mm -hmm. quite reliably Mm -hmm. which means you'll actually do it which means your code quality stays high which means you don't slow down which means you eventually catch rails maybe probably who knows it's definitely a long it's a little long game it's not like the short-term wins necessarily it's the long game i think that's true um and so like but i'm curious to see what it actually feels like myself because opinions like of these of this nature to me are like tend to get like kind of Mm -hmm. religious Mm -hmm. you know like you get people that are full-on haskellers and so they will never admit that you know rails is better in some situations not everyone's like that but you know this happens um and so i find it's really important to get like first-hand experience and like i'm pretty convinced that elm is going to like you know is a big deal and is here to stay and is a much better development experience than a lot of other things but until it's like you've got to ship things by deadlines and you've got Mm -hmm. to refactor big code bases and you have you know a bunch of lines of code to deal with uh it's hard to tell yeah. those things yeah so because what wasn't it um i feel like i recall one of the thoughtbot podcasts um talking about hosts were talking about like trying to build that github issue utility that some thoughtbotters built and they were trying to do it in haskell first and then yes. like got got a little ways into it and just punted and went back to rails on it or elixir or something um yeah so that was like a uh uh-oh i know these are like very smart experienced developers who are still struggling to get like a basic product shipped in in haskell like i feel like the, the hurdles must be pretty high i think that's true i think the initial learning curve is quite steep um, I've tried. I've kind of like I've done a Haskell book club a couple times, and I've done a little bit of Haskell exercises, but I can't really say what it's like because I haven't actually got myself yeah. over it to the point where I felt like somewhat yeah. capable. But it seems to be it seems to be rather difficult to get yeah. going. Um, and, and keep in mind that that anecdote about the people that that failed to get going in Haskell that was over like a hack okay. fest, and so I think it was like it was like a two or three day hack fest got that it. we did. And so the pressure there is like, you have to get something done by the end to show like you did a thing. And so if you're a day and a half in and you can't figure out the Haskell thing, it makes sense to bail on it in that scenario. Whereas if you were starting a company and you're like, we think Haskell's the right choice, you would just keep going. You'd keep pressing on it. So that's fair. um, Not a totally fair anecdote for for judging it, I would say. It's almost the worst case scenario for learning a new technology with a steep learning curve. Yeah. And evaluating yeah um yeah but yeah i'm i'm so yeah i I, god i love the idea of getting paid to learn (laughs) and write this kind of thing this that in that language and just like get the real world experience and Mm -hmm. be like okay so like i've i've been i published a heck of a lot of educational content in the ruby world so it's like if i can get over that hump and get some real legit experience maybe i make some haskell stuff maybe i or at least you know give some interesting talks on the experience yeah. and what it's like coming to a different language as a, as a former Rubyist and yeah. things like that. Oh, I think what one of the things that that language really needs is things to help um, decrease the learning curve, I think. like, And there's probably yeah. 
like someone who is great at producing educational material, and I would argue that you you're pretty darn good at it because you've done quite a bit of it now. You know, like if you can put your Thanks. your bend yeah. twist on introducing someone to the language and how it works and how to think about things because you have to think about things differently in a functional strongly typed language right yeah so i yep. think like i don't know i haven't i've encountered something maybe something like there's out something like that is out there already but i haven't encountered it for for haskell so it was like elm has some of that stuff like which is why it's been more approachable yeah, than probably I agree. haskell but i also yeah i think I would say Elm is. I mean, I think Elm made intentional design choices to make it easier yeah. to pick up for yeah. beginners. And there's been work made and like put explicitly around making it easier to pick yeah. up for beginners. I don't think Haskell has had the same yeah. experience. Um, although it's funny, like so Haskell has a steep learning curve, and it's like kind of notorious at being not that friendly to beginners. But you actually hear that same criticism of Rails. Mm. Like people have said that over time, Rails has gotten harder and harder to learn for new yeah. people. And it's like, yeah, that's true. It definitely has. Um, or I think that's a pretty fair argument mm-hmm. to make. But who is like, is that the right thing to optimize yeah. for? You certainly like, it's great to be accessible to beginners, but the real, like people don't stay beginners yeah, for long. It's, it's like you spend the most time as an experienced person in that yep. thing and working on it day after day after day. What is that like? That definitely dominates the new user experience yeah, to me. That's true. So... If Haskell is, is terribly hard to learn, but once you get over it, you have a wonderful development experience and you make fewer bugs and you work faster mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you can ship stuff real quick. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, like Vim is hard to learn too, mm-hmm. right? It's like steep learning curve doesn't necessarily mean, you know, bad decisions have been made. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Um, I think like that's what, I mean, that's how I first, when I first taught myself Ruby and Rails, like that was... There was a lot of new things. I, I, yeah, my memory's fading a little bit, but I, I can think back and recall like every day just having we have to search docs for every little thing to figure out how to get stuff done, and it's so frustrating. But like you, you somehow dig up like you have enough uh, drive to get over the learning curve so that you can be productive in it. And as soon as you do, then it's magical, you know. And I think yep. so. I don't know. It just takes a certain amount of like motivation and drive to to push through it but i think that's true of any language really yep just some have a longer longer yeah. period than others i guess sure and, and that's like a that's a thing we're thinking about as like a language maintainer or a tool yeah. designer or whatnot but i'm not sure it's the most important yeah. case yeah. and like if if haskell is hard to learn but i'm surrounded by people that have already gone through that pain that i can use as a resource and i have an existing code base to look at and to dig mm-hmm. through and I think it's, I don't think it'll be too mm-hmm. bad. It's kind of the best case for yeah. that. So, yeah. Cool. So, hopefully, that opportunity keeps going. Yeah. Hopefully, it still seems good. I'm going to, I'm going in to talk to some cool. people. Uh, and so, we'll see how that uh, yeah. turns out. Nice. I'll be interested to hear what happens. We, uh, I, I might have mentioned this yeah. before, but, um, uh, People on my team, a lot of people on my team are really excited about Elm being brought into the fold. <laughs> like, like cool. the, yeah. That's awesome. And I think it's, I think it just goes to show that like, um, like similar to what you're, how you're motivated to, and me too, to like keep moving forward, learning new languages, like picking up new knowledge. I think 
same is true of, of my team. So like we have a solid foundation of Ruby and Ruby's always going to be there for the foreseeable future in drip, but just to be able to like mix in a little bit of new tech, um, I think is, is going to be a really good motivator for the whole team. And I, a lot of folks mentioned in 2018, totally. one of their things they're most excited about is just learning some Elm and, and just seeing what that, hmm. all that's about. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's just, that's sort of like another, uh, uh arrow in the quiver like sort of like that just sort of confirms my mm-hmm. suspicion which is that using good technologies is a good recruiting yeah, tool totally and like a, and a retention and retention yep. tool yep and i think yeah. i think we you know we were so we were able to hire um our first uh, or our second front engineer who is predominantly interested in elm although you know there is obviously going to be a little bit of javascript work done to be done because our whole entire application's yep. in javascript but it's like we have some major projects coming along in elm and we wouldn't have otherwise gotten him on the team. So I think, yeah, mm. I really see the power in it. That's cool. Yeah. It's legit. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else up with you? Hmm. Not too much. Um, yeah. You, uh, do you dabble at all in cryptocurrencies by chance? Cool. I've been doing a bunch of... I don't. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I've been following the, so I have a, I have just like a little bit of Bitcoin and, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been refreshing um, some status pages because so Coinbase, um, Coinbase was not originally going to support Bitcoin cash, which is a fork of Bitcoin that happened back in August. And then they just recently, mm-hmm. um, made the Bitcoin cash that you would have had back in August available in Coinbase accounts. Um, but they did it in such a, they did it in a weird way where they just like um, suddenly said like, now it's in your account. So no one was expecting it. They, they had given a timeline on like somewhere near the beginning of next year, we'll make it available. So they just did it at a weird mm-hmm. random time. And then they hit all kinds of issues mm-hmm. and like shut off trading. So now it's like, you can't sell it. It's just sitting there. And there was like a huge price spike right around, like right before they released it, which seems to suggest that there was like insider trading happening from Coinbase employees. I mean, that's the running theory, at least that I've seen. Jesus. So, uh, oh my God. yeah, it's the wild west out there. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. You just, uh, yeah. I have totally non-technical friends that are like, I bought some Bitcoin. Right. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, you know, enjoy, enjoy your speculation. Like it yeah. might be fun. Hopefully it's not oh, a lot it's of money. It's total gambling. Like I, like I'm under no illusion yeah. that this is at this point, not just like, yeah, gambling, which is why I'm not putting any kind of a fun bumble, a fun uh, bubble. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. That's cool. I've been doing a ton of yoga recently. It's the best. <sighs> I need to get back to it, man. I feel so different. So I, I told you I, I committed mm-hmm. to my friend to do those, to do um, 10 mm-hmm. yoga classes or I'd pay him money. And so far I've stuck with it. So I did two the first week and then four and last week. And then I've done three this week so far. And I, so I, I did mm-hmm. one more and man, just the regularly getting in there and stretching and, and sweating and all that. It's like such a difference in how I feel. Like I was having this really nasty upper mm-hmm. back pain where it's just like, like sharp, like, like, taking painkillers because it's too distracting and like feeling like i couldn't leave the house some days because it's just like ah this hurts too much and it's gone like i I don't feel any of that right now 
It's just the, the moving and the twisting and all that. It's just so yeah. useful. Yeah, it's like I, after doing yoga for con- a consistent, um, like, couple of months last year, I, we were, I was much more consistent about it. I didn't necessarily notice a whole lot of mm-hmm. body change, but I did notice, like, stress was lower. Like, it definitely helps with that, I think. Mm-hmm. And and then sure. enc- entering stressful situations, like if I'm in some kind of meeting that I know is going to be, I'm, I'm going to be stressed in, like, just the, the breathing techniques um, alone are mm. super powerful. And I know it has helped with my flexibility. Mm. Like, it's it's such a gradual thing for me, and I still feel like I'm way off totally. on flexibility, but I know it has helped. So, um, and I mm-hmm. think I just need to be probably more consistent about doing it. Um, mm. Yeah, flexibility takes a long time. That's the, that's the annoying part of it. But uh, although I will say, like I've, I ha- I'm already noticing a little improvements just after these like nine yeah. classes, where it's like, huh, my heels are definitely closer mm-hmm. to the ground and down dog, mm-hmm. and like I'm more stable during planks. Like my shoulders feel a little yeah. stronger. Um, lots lots of little things are are definitely. I did out. a. Um, that's the best thing about yeah. bodies, I think. Yeah, it's funny. I did um, last week. I did like one. A 15 minute beginner level or, or intermediate level um, like drill basics exercise from the Nike Training Club app and I was like sore for three days after which just goes to show that I think there's a lot of muscle groups that I haven't actually been um, engaging mm. actively lately um, even though I'm like fairly yeah. active like I'm like I stand a lot at work and you know I walk quite a bit I take public transportation so there's like never like dropping me exactly where i need to go so it's not like i'm totally sedentary but man like working certain muscle groups have been working a long time even on a 15 minute beginner level thing can really wreak havoc which is a good thing you know (laughs) i need to be doing more of that yep totally yeah yeah yeah. doesn't have to be complicated it doesn't all right i think i'm at my my limit all right let's call it good chatting with you man all right yeah, man. Good yeah. talking. Um, so we're probably off. Uh, let's 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 say we're off okay. next week, yeah, right? Probably. Let's see. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah. So I will talk to you again on the fourth. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, have a great holidays yeah. and New Year's and all that. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right. I'll talk see to you later. Man. See ya.